in judo, you can use muscle or leverage to execute a technique. Mm. So there is kind of, there is a, a, a meeting and a conflict when a, when a judo ha technique happens. In Aikido, your technique always starts from an evasion. Like you're always pivoting offline, you're pivoting back. You know, the number one thing in Aikido is if an attack is there, you are not. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Conversations from the Heart. Today, we are joined by Sensei's Nick and Alex Godinsky from Wisconsin Sport Aikido Club up in West Allis, Wisconsin. Gentlemen, thank you for coming Welcome. on the show. Thank, thank you for having us. So I met you guys in a really transformative period in my life back when I was in college, and that was just such an amazing experience. Met some amazing people. You guys are definitely on the top of that list. Uh, but we kind of, you know, have part ways for a long time i think it's been what guys maybe 10 15 years it's been a long time about that yeah. it's great to see you uh again and i kind of want to know um what you've been doing these last few years but also how you got started originally in the martial arts because i know when we met in karate you guys had trained in aikido before and i think that's going to be the central topic for today is talking about aikido and kind of filling us in um can you tell us how we guess, you guys got started? Is it the same story? It might be a little bit different, so you guys can take turns. and. Yeah, know. it's pretty much the same story, Nick. If you want to start it off, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, you know, informally we started kind of, you know, backyard karate. We had a, a friend that was a little bit older than us, and uh, he actually was at UWM taking um, karate with uh, Phil Sauer there. Uh, so we kind of started with him just in the backyard goofing around and um, – I think it was 1991, 92, we kind of said, well, you know, we'd like to do martial arts as well, but we didn't want to do the run-of-the-mill sort of like commercial brand. So we we kind of did a little bit of research and we came across um, this Aikido thing at the YMCA. And, and you know, we didn't know much about Aikido at the time, but, um, you know, of course, the, the most probably... Uh, most famous practitioner is probably, you know, Steven Seagal, you know, the guy, you know, movies, swinging, swinging sticks and cue balls and whatever inside of a towel. So we said, well, we'll give it a shot. And um, so we started that in 1992 at the YMCA under, under Mark Bartram and, and the Midwest Yudanshika there. Um, we've stuck with that. Uh, we're still practicing that uh, consistently. Uh, AJ and I both have a, a fourth Don in, in Tamiki style Aikido. Um, when we went to college um, in roughly 1996, we, we, you know, looking to expand it. You know, Aikido is very defensive, um, kind of, you know, absorbing attack. And we both said, well, we, we want to complete our, our training a little bit and supplement it and, and get a little more stand-up. So we, we started Shorunu Karate with Phil Sauer at Kimai Nabadi in 1996 when we started college. And we, we kept with him for a number of years. Um, you know, post-college, uh, we've both done a number of years in judo, probably Kotakan judo, probably six or seven years, and then dabbled here and there, um, you know, uh, Qigong, you know, nothing, nothing long-term, but, you know, a couple months here, a couple months there, and just kind of 
picked up where you can along the way, but but the Shorinru, uh, the Aikido, and the Kodokan Judo probably were um, our longest tenured martial arts and probably our three principled. That is so interesting. That's awesome. And the same thing for you, Alex? Very similar? Yeah, very similar, yeah. So, I mean, um, we were both in, as you mentioned, Aikido long enough to, to get fourth degree. Um, I think we both got third degree in Shorinru. Um, before I kind of transitioned away from judo for various, you know, time and, and effort and energy reasons, I think I was at, uh, no, I was, I was at a second degree Brown. Um, so yeah, um, all very similar. Um, if, if, uh, I'd still be doing all three, if, uh, time and energy were not factors in life, you know? Yeah. Well, yes, I mean, you guys have your own school, right? The, uh, uh, sport yeah. you know, club, is that what you're running now? Yeah, so we manage it. It's, it's a very small club um, that we run with another gentleman named Matt Fanning, um, who is a, a was actually kind of a contemporary coming up through the ranks through us. Um, he's currently a rank below us, and um, we came up through the same Aikido instructor. Um, and you know, there's a period of time where kind of we went and did our own thing, and he went and did his own thing. And then I forget how it happened. I think, but we reconnected probably six, seven years ago. And I think he reached out because he was starting a, a rec program. And he's like, hey, I'd, I'd like it if you guys, you know, come to class and, you know, share what you guys know. And um, we kind of started working with him with the rec program. Um, I don't know if you guys have worked with rec programs, but sometimes they, you know, equipment and stuff are always kind of yeah. iffy at best. Um, uh, yeah, I ran a club you know, yeah, I know all about how hard that is. My guy yeah. in space um, was like fighting a battle, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but an opportunity that came up to kind of start our own little group away from the rec program, and we kind of jumped at it, and, you know, we put our own money to buy equipment and mats and all that stuff, and we've been there for four, five years now? That's yeah, awesome. Three and a half or four, yeah. Now, are you guys keeping it just strictly a keto? Because you do have a lot of uh, other training with the karate and the judo. Do you guys integrate that as all at all, or um, some? You know, we'll do some private sessions here and there. Um, it's mainly strictly a keto um, due to insurance purposes. Obviously, okay. you guys are aware of that. Um, yeah. You know, we'd like to expand, um, but the logistics of it just make it difficult. You know, okay. we're doing classes two nights a week, and it's like. You have to find the people with the time and energy to add another two and then sure. outreach and all that stuff. I mean, for now, we're, we're just doing a keto. I would love to expand it, um, but that's kind of we'll see where life takes us within the next couple of years. So I was going to say, you know, the great thing about having your own school is you can do anything you want. And if you want to do the karate and the judo, you can just teach your students and keep practicing yourself, which is what I've been doing. You know, I haven't trained. I left Hill Sour you know, a long time ago, back when we were training together. And, but I still practice those karate things all the time on the floor of my students. And uh, that's the great thing about having you in school. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's funny. It's funny if you don't practice a while and you just bust out a cotter or do how much you'll actually recollect, you know, just off yeah. of muscle memory. You know, you, you did it so yeah. often for so long that it just comes back to you pretty quick. Oh, man. Those short room katas are so awesome. I love them. I mean, I did taekwondo my whole life. And I, and I have to admit that Shorinru Kata is just way better. It's just karate Kata is really nice. They, they were fun. And that's, I mean, and, and that's what I think I, I enjoyed most with Shorinru and Aikido. They were, they were so different. 
you know, yeah. just in philosophies and practicalities and um, practice methods. I mean, they, they balanced out really well. Um, and they, they, they complement each other well. I mean, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, a lot of people, they don't really know a lot about Aikido. And, and a lot, one thing you have to understand about Aikido and its, its primary philosophy is there is no offense in Aikido. Mm -hmm. Everything is primarily defensive that turns into offensive moves. Mm -hmm. um, and with karate being an offensive driven art, you know, you know, 50% offense, 50% defense, it's, they blend really well. And I, I think that's what kind of, what I gravitated toward and what I enjoyed the most. You like the emptiness of water and the crashing wave yeah. together. Yeah, that's awesome. So would you say, I mean, to start our conversation on Aikido, would you say that that's kind of the foundational principle of Aikido is martial arts only for self-defense in, in, in that sort of non-aggressive, non-attack, you know, mode of thinking? You know, I, I think that's definitely a distinguisher of Aikido. Um, Aikido in its traditional sense, um, there's no attacking, there's no offense. Um, and they don't, traditional Aikido doesn't necessarily practice free sparring or competition. Um, that's one area where the style we study, Tamiki Aikido, actually differs. Um, there's still no offense, but there is um, various forms of free sparring and competition. Uh, like knife, there's knife competition and there's uh, empty hand competition. So it's more akin to, to judo in that sense. Um, but in traditional Aikido, that's really kind of the, the separator is that it really is a defensive art, first and foremost. Gotcha. And how is, I don't know anything about Aikido, so you got to help me here, but how is Tamikyo Aikido different from other forms of Aikido? Aikido? Yeah, so, so I give you a real kind of footnote or uh, clip note history here. So, so Morahai Ueshiba, uh, you know, founded Aikido uh, 1910s, 1920s, somewhere around there. Um, and he, you know, he initially founded it as more of a Budo, right? Like it was kind of a way of life, a very harmonious, uh, you know, approach to things. Um, you know, he, he, he taught it as a traditional martial art. There wasn't necessarily a set curriculum. You know, he, he ran his own schools. He kind of went here, there, taught his students. Um, you know, he identified the ones that, that kind of perpetuated the style and, and grass sword, and he, and he promoted it that way. Um, Kenji Tamiki was initially a, a judo player. He was, uh, he was studying under uh, 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 Jigoro Kano. Um, and yeah, so, and they, you know, Jigoro Kano kind of said, you know, hey, who's this, this, this Ueshiba guy? You know, what, what's he doing? And he, and he sent Kenji Tamiki over there to kind of start to learn and study. And he did, and he, he Again, he became one of the, the higher-ranking students. He he was uh, Kenji Tamiki was a eighth don in both uh, Aikido and uh, Judo. Um, and post World War II, what generally happened is just because of kind of the hostilities and, and the U.S. involvement, uh, martial arts were outlawed as as a practice of Budo, right? Um, but things like Judo were still allowed to to happen because it was a competition, it was a sport. Mm. So Kenji Tamiki, who was a, again, a judo practitioner and um, a physical education teacher at, at Waseda College, 
said, well, let's bring in a sport aspect. Let's, let's keep this going by making it a sport. And what he did is he took the 15, he, he, they were, there were 15 core techniques um, from Aikido and he, and he broke them down into kind of their simplest forms. Uh, again, one, you know, to propagate it as a, a competition with set rules and, and programs and things like that. Um, and from there, it, it, he, he instilled two, two general practices of, of sport. And one was, as, as Alex was mentioning, Tanto uh, Ronduri, which is uh, Ronduri or, or competition against a knife, or, or Tekatana Ronduri, which is hand-to-hand. -hand. Mm -hmm. um, those 15 techniques initially, you know, eventually turned into a basic 17. Um, and that's kind of where Tamiki style is today. But, but Tamiki style is... Uh, singular in the sense that it's only style Aikido with uh, competition. You know, most of your traditional Aikidos won't have competition. They won't have uh, randori, and it's it's a very cooperative sort of um, approach to to practice. Is that why you guys run the Aikido Sport? Or sorry, what, the Sport Aikido Club? Right. You say Correct. Sport Aikido. Interesting, because I was trying to figure that out because I. I didn't know Aikido was really into sport because like when I had heard of it before, I thought more martial arts, uh, but that makes sense now with what you're saying. Um, how does that, you guys did judo as well, and that seems so interesting to me because listening to the history of the Aikido you do, it seems like you guys would be pretty well versed in judo. So when you got on the mats and started doing judo, you must have been kind of wiping the floor with those white belts. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, there's some pretty good white belts out there, I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, how, how is it different? How is judo, how is the judo training different than the Aikido training you did? So, and AJ, you can kind of jump in or, or if you have yeah. different, so, so judo, you know, the throws and bars in judo are, um, I'll describe them as whole body, you know, so like if you do an Ipanse Nagi, which is kind of a, a over the shoulder throw, you're, you're throwing the entire body or you're doing, um, you know, uh, Osotogari, where it's a leg sweep, and you're, you're again, you're, you're taking the whole body down, where, where Aikido is, you're throwing, but it's, it's from an R bar, it's from a wrist lock, it's from a, um, a point of articulation, uh, as opposed to, you know, two forces, so judo is very much, you know, kind of two forces meet, and you try to jockey for position, and, and get one way or the other, where, where Aikido, you're waiting for that person to overcommit and then steal Kazushi or steal balance and then apply your technique. Mm. Yes, sir. You know, so also some, you know, kind of differing rules there. You know, judo. We, we, obviously this is go, go for it. Keep going. Sorry, sorry. I was say, you know, uh, judo, you know, in competition, you can grab the sleeve, you can grab inside the collar, inside the gi. Um, Aikido, you're kind of restricted to the arm. You know, you can't come inside the collar or anything like that to perpetuate a throw. Oh. Well, like one, one, I guess this may or may not be true, but one casual observation just by seeing Aikido and Judo and thinking about things is like, it almost seems like Aikido is a little bit more on the outer periphery and more using footwork to off balance people, whereas Judo is a little bit more like get in there, get control. We're not, not quite the wrestling level where we're going for like the double legs, single legs, but, but getting full body control, loading them up on your hip and really tossing them over as opposed to, you know, like off balancing them from a distance and out foot, footwork, footworking them. Would you say that's kind of true? Yeah, no, that is very true. It's, it's very astute. So judo in and of itself is, 
I, I think as you kind of both alluded to it, it it's I don't want to say confrontational, but for lack of a better term, it involves actually jockeying a position for dominance and position. So mm-hmm. in judo, you can use muscle or leverage to execute a technique. Mm-hmm. So there is kind of there is a, a, a meeting and a conflict when a, when a judo ha- technique happens. In Aikido, your technique always starts from an evasion. Like you're always pivoting offline, you're pivoting back. You know, the number one thing in Aikido is if an attack is there, you are not. So you're, you're, you're moving off to the side, you're moving back, you're, you're parrying around your opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the primary differences. Again, with Aikido after your pivot, you then reposition where you are taking more of a judo distance where you're closer or what's depending upon from the outside. But um, again, Aikido back to that defensive defense first, mm-hmm. your technique always starts with an evasion. We know one of these, another observation I've had is Aikido, a lot of times when I see it practice, it starts from a strike, like someone comes in with a punch, whereas I see judo typically practice, they start with grips. And that's actually kind of makes Aikido a really nice pairing, I feel like, with the karate that you guys studied in the past, because it's like, now you know how to throw a good punch, because sometimes you see Aikido guys and they don't really know how to throw the punch, but they know what to do with the punch. So you kind of learn, you learn the punch and then you learn how to intercept it. My question is, and I've never seen sport Aikido, how does how does that look? Because I would imagine, like like a lot of the the training Aikido I've seen is like someone comes in and throws a punch at you and then you react, right? But are you guys throwing punches? How are people initiating in sport Aikido? So there's there's two, I guess, two rounders or two sparring uh, kind of philosophies. The first one is Tanto rounders. Tanto is a practice night. Um, and what you happens is in that is you you know you have your two opponents one person will have the tanto or the knife uh the other person is is uh defending and uh wow, both that sides, sounds really hard yeah so both sides can get points so so initially tanto or or uke you know they they generally can score a point by stabbing and, and thrusting and, and making the knife bend with you know somewhere between the shoulders and, and obi level um, but it's got to be a straight thrust, and the knife's got to bend, and you can get a skiari or one point, you know, during that round. And then as Tori defends, you know, very similar to judo rules, um, they have to apply a technique. You know, they're they're trying not, you know, obviously you're you're trying to soft block, you're trying to pivot, uh, apply your technique, and then you score one of you know, uh, ipan, which is for wazari, which is two or or. Uh, uh, Koku, usually one. Um, and then what happens is halfway through, which is about a minute and a half, you switch and then you oh, yeah, and go back. So, um, Tegatana Ronduri is is probably, if if for the uninitiated, if you're watching a judo match or a, a Tegatana Ronduri uh, Aikido match, they're going to look very, very similar because mm-hmm. you start hand blade to hand blade. And it, again, it becomes more of a grappling and, and it's, it's finished when one person is thrown. Okay. Um, you know, and again, the, the subtleties are, again, you you can't go inside the, the, the gi, you can't, um, you know, there's no leg sweeps. Mm-hmm. So it's trying to apply your technique from a standing position from hand blade to hand blade. But there is a kind of a lot of, you know, hand motion, you know, blocking. Um, one of our techniques is called a, a shomanate or just the kind of front hand throw. 
So there's a lot of just kind of hands flying in the face and, you know, things like that. So, so the, the Tegatana is, is probably more akin to a judo competition than, than the Tanto Rondere. Gotcha. I'm curious. So I'm imagining this. I've seen some Aikido videos, right? But again, I mean, like Master Worlds, I, I was really kind of hungry for this conversation because I want to hear it kind of from people who have been doing this for a long time. You mentioned not being able to come up inside the gi and kind of like that. And I, it makes me curious because when we're, for example, rolling, you know, we are like getting deep grips. We're trying to really use the gi to our advantage. And then it makes me think of no gi rolling or no uniform. And I'm curious, do you ever do training or practice without the gi? And, and what does that look like? Are you... I don't know. I'm, I'm just curious about that. We Are do. There, mm -hmm. we, we do during the summer when it's too hot to wear them. Yes, sir. Yes, um, sir. But I mean, the, the transition is, is pretty standard because, as, as Sensei Nick was saying, it's, you know, because you can't actually grab the fabric, what actually happens is you end up grabbing the wrist or the forearm um, or, the, or the arm area here. Yes, um, you, can't you can't ever actually, like, grab fabric, but you can put your hand where it needs to be and that's one of the, the exercises with with aikido is, is hand grip strength so you you really work on your hand grip strength um and it really is controlling that wrist or that forearm so you can pull your opponent where the leverage is required and then use that free arm to execute a throw in some ways that's uh really applicable because you know i mean you might find someone in a jacket but a lot of times they're going to be in street clothes so it seems like Aikido is sort of primed to teach you how to really work with the human body in ways that like sometimes, you know, with Judo, I studied Judo for a while and I've done Jiu-Jitsu for a long time and, you know, we get our grips in and it's like, I love it when you're working with a newbie because like you just have full control of this person. You can just manhandle them. Whereas like when you do Nogi, they're, they can jump around and get all sweaty and try to like evade and stuff. And sometimes I think they're a lot better than they really are. But when you get those grips in... <laughs> It is, they're just hopeless, you know? Right, and, yeah. um, but that, that all said, it's, it's not always the most realistic and learning the no-gi is also really important. It seems like that's almost built into a keto. Yeah, and you're 100% accurate. And, you know, just with my experience coming up through the ranks, like, as you learn a keto, like, that's one of the most frustrating things is, is some of the techniques, they're, they're very difficult to apply at first until you learn the foundations. Like it's, it's Aikido is kind of like golf in a sense that it's like, you can go out and you just, you just have the worst day of your life, but then you have one swing. You're just like, Oh, that was sweet. I'll keep going. Mm -hmm. That's Aikido. Nice. Yes, sir. What kind of uniforms do you guys wear? Do you wear like lighter karate style or do you guys wear like a thicker judo uniform? It tends to gravitate more towards the judo uniform. Okay. Um, yeah, and again, because a lot of the, the defensive things, things you do, you you are, even though the, the techniques you complete in Aikido aren't from uh, a grab or a, a grasp, like a lapel or whatever, uh, some of the defenses and, and you know, formal katas or koryu, as we call them, okay. uh, that we do, they will have those those type of grabs and um, setups. So, so it tends to be more of a judo or a heavier gi. Yeah, yeah. With those, you say koryu is the is the term for form. Yeah, so koryu is just um, I don't remember what the exact translation is, but it, it kind of um, 
I think it's like it, a practice set. Yeah, it's like a traditional set. So, so there's, you know, Koryu Daiichi, which is, you know, formal set number one, Koryu Dai Ni, which is formal set number two, and then so on and so forth. And does that translate as, in terms of motion, are you, because, you know, we have our kind of Taekwondo forms, like our hallways and our Taegooks. Is it a matter of you start in a position, are, are all of the forms done with another person? Yes, correct. Okay. So, so that's, I guess, another kind of difficult part about Aikido is, is you can, How you can do the motions, you know, by yourself, um, but you can't perfect them, right? You know, Taekwondo, you can, you can work your kicks and you can, you're targeting and, you know, you're, you're chambering it and you're, you're hitting the target, at, you know, you're working the bags. Um, you can run through the forms in Aikido, but uh, the, the issue is, is, you know, when you're working with balance or inertia or trying to break someone's, you know, take them outside their center and apply your technique from a point of strength, it's going to differ from person to person, right? I can't, I can't apply a technique against somebody who's four foot and 300 pounds mm -hmm. uh, same way I, I would be able to apply it to somebody who's six foot and 150, you know, it, it's just a different, different setup and a different mentality. So um, hard to practice like you do without a partner. Yes, sir. It's kind of a humbling thing, too, though. I mean, it show, you know, shows that you can only learn through camaraderie and friendship with other people. Um, man, you know, when I, when I hear about these, like, sort of katas in Aikido, how long are these? Like, are they sort of like a defense? Like, we, we just, like, self-defense moves. Like, someone comes in and strangles you, and then maybe you move to the side, you take it down, you do, like, an arm bar or something. That would be, like, one self-defense is that like one kata in aikido so there's aikido is it, it has 17 basic techniques um, okay. and then we practice those techniques again with a partner um there's a kata form which is like kind of the fundamentals where you're you're um doing safe practice and safe safe speed and then you elevate to like rondery kata and then full-fledged rondery which is kind of free form um, the choreos of themselves vary. So there are, to my recollection, about seven choreos right now. And they're basically, each one is a collection. Um, so one we do very often, the Koryu Daisan, which is the, the third practice set, is, Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, 24 techniques? I think 34 techniques. 34 <laughs> techniques. And it, 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 there's always a progression to the stylization. So with the Koryu Daisan, you start with what, what's commonly referred to as tea house technique. So you're doing kneeling to kneeling like you would be being attacked in a tea house in Japan. Mm -hmm. So you're at the tea table, you're both kneeling at a table and someone tries to attack you and then you you respond accordingly. Wow. You then elevate to kneeling to standing where someone is kneeling in a tea house and if somebody attacks them from, from a standing position. Then you go to standing to standing. Um, then there's like five against knife five against stick, um, like six with stick, and then sword on sword. Mm. Cool. Wow, it's a lot of curriculum. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, over the years, I mean, this is a sort of a side note, but you know, you guys have done so many martial arts too. Like, it's just hard to remember all that stuff. It's impressive. I mean, that's just your Aikido. Then you got what, all those like 16 karate forms that we learned and then, you know, all the judo stuff. I mean, your head must just be swimming. I can't <laughs> tell you how how beneficial YouTube has been in recent years. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's it, 
But then, you know, the problem is people think they really know it and they don't know it, you know, because they have yeah. a huge database. They can basically learn anything on the fly and they think they know it, but then when they go to really roll or do render or whatever you want to call it, they really don't know anything, you know, yeah. and so they have a false sense of understanding. Yeah, and it's like, a, it's like a book, you know, like, you know, there's so many people that want to be, you know, they publish the techniques or whatever, and, and books are great, but it's not a substitute for, yes, sir. for instruction. It's it's a reference, and it's, you know, always yes. going to be a reference, but the, the instruction still has to be there, and the practice still has to be there. Absolutely, absolutely. So, off of that, um, hearing about your training in Shoren Ryu, I am curious, we, we kind of hinted this a little earlier, but I don't know if we went kind of deeply into it. Um, is there a specific philosophy, a specific technique, a specific mindset that you feel really becomes complementary with these two styles? You have Aikido, you have shorter karate. Um, is there something that you feel, uh, I mean, either one of you or both of you together, I know you've done a lot of your training in tandem, that you've brought from your karate training into your Aikido instruction and practice, and then vice versa, uh, when you are practicing karate, are you pulling something really specific from your Aikido training and, and trying to inform your karate through that? That, that might be a little... No, I, I think I, I, I get where you're going. So I, I think at its fundamental core, um, Shorin Ryu and, and Aikido are both soft blocking styles, meaning you're not, you know, attacks come in and you're not, you're not locking down in the center, right? You're moving offline and you're redirecting or whatever it is. And, mm, yes, I think since we, we started with Aikido, which is almost exclusively soft blocking and moving and pivoting, sure. transitioning to Shore and Ru, which was also soft blocking style, just made sense. And you know, I remember taking some initial classes where you know you do a defense against a punch and you know the first step is, you know, move out of the way and block. And and just people were like, I don't I don't get it. And I was like, Well, you just you just move out of the way, like. <laughs> what do you tell you? Like, oh, you're here. I want to be over here. Like, it's, like it seems so, simple, but it's not. <laughs> right, right. But it was so. But it was that practice in Aikido that I think um, allowed that that assimilation in Shoren Ru a whole lot easier. And then even in Shoren Ru, I think just you know taking somebody's balance just slightly to apply your technique was yeah. a big right because I think a lot of people, you know. They would move out of the way. They'd get that, but then they would rely on just you know your your punching or your chambering or whatever. There there wasn't um, kind of a, a dynamic um, disruption of of their attack. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so they move off and they were the soft block, but it didn't it never arrested or it never redirected your opponent's attack. So I think just enough to to off balance him and then apply your technique made a big difference in the show and ruin. Um, mm -hmm. I think those are both complementary to our, our initial Aikido practice. Yeah, sir. Yeah. We did a lot of blocking in that program. It's one of the things that I feel like I learned the most about what in the short program from coming from a Taekwondo background, we don't do a lot of blocking. Like we mostly evade. And so, um, I had very good footwork and body movement, but then I get in there and like, you know, I tried to do my block and, you know, coming all straight up with my arm and not coming out and intercepting things and I'm getting hit in the face and I'm like, Oof, okay, I got to learn this, you know, but it was, it was great because it really filled in my game. And then I went back to Taekwondo tournaments and some of the roundhouse came out and they blocked it and they're like, they're like not, like not expecting it. And then right away you hit them, you know, 
Um, <laughs> and you're going to competition. You're like, wait, you can't do that, can you? I, I didn't know that was possible. Because a lot of techno people think it's impossible to block. You know, they're like, yeah, you can't. You can't actually block things. And then I would block all their stuff, and they'd be like, really confused. You know, but it was only because we 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 used to like do block punch like every single day. You know. Um, I can't tell you how many times in that program, like I would leave with just my forearms bruised, my hands oh, yeah. shaking. <laughs> Oh, there was one lady, I can't remember her name, but she was fierce. She was super fierce. I think she had like pink or purple hair or something. And she would come in there, she was like in her 40s. And every time I go to block her, her, her hand, her arm was so tight, it was like a piston, you know? And like, I didn't want to like chicken out, you know, and say like, hey, let's, let's like calm it down. Cause I mean, she's like half my size. So I just had to sit there and block her ridiculous punches. But man, I would, I would grit it and bear it and pretend like I was okay, but I'd leave there and I'm like, oh my God, my forearms, this lady. I'm sure in her mind, she was like, I can't like show any weakness. And she probably left feeling the same way too, you know? It's yeah. so funny. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was the, I would say it was always the best, you know, trying to, you know, especially when it was in college, you'd leave and, yeah, you'd have to go like take notes in your next lecture class and your hands shaking and you can't you can't yeah. hold a pen because you're you're just bruised up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, it, it was it was such a great time in my martial arts development, I feel like when I was in college, because I, I was training in so many different disciplines. I was training karate, but I was training all over the place there at UWM and I have my own program over there in my club and whatnot. And it you know, young college just a, such a great time in their life where they're passionate and they're ambitious and they're um that's the time to do martial arts i feel like if there's ever a time because martial arts is all about passion you know and ambition and believing in yourself and having confidence and um yeah those are those are good days and i and i owe a lot to since phil sour uh for what he taught me and stuff he was a very good martial artist i feel like in a lot of ways but, yeah I mean, yeah, I agree. Like, college was, was great because you just – you had so many people from so many different backgrounds and styles just all conveniently in one place. Like, you didn't yeah. have to – you didn't have to search – you didn't have to search too far to get the knowledge. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, it's, it's so crazy. I, you know, I graduated from college and then I went to Korea and I did meet just amazing martial arts in Korea. Um, but I expected that. But then, you know, when I opened my school and I started building my – um, my business, I started to realize that there, we, you guys, me, you know, uh, Aaron Kopish, there's, there was a lot of really good martial artists in that small group. Yeah. Um, that I didn't realize how great that group was until I moved on to other things. I was like, man, there's some real talent there. Yeah. yeah. And actually, like, it's funny you mentioned that because before I left left that program left college, like Bill actually made mention of the exact same thing you just said. Mm. He like mentioned the exact same people. He's like, "You guys are really good." And like, I don't know, me in my twenties, I'm like, "Ah, you're just saying that because we're your students." He's like, "He's like, no, like you have no idea how much talent you have compared to what's out there." Oh yeah. Like, well, well like, thank you. It was like this. Um... It was kind of, you meet these different pockets of martial arts, you know, and there's like the kind of the mainstream martial arts. And then there's these like little pockets of like badasses that just somehow belong together and just been doing their own thing in like the shadows of society for like 30, 40 years. 
that's what this was. Now, Phil Sauer had been like training these people. Some of them then like going back to his to the college that he did he graduate from UWM? I think so, yeah. Where he like he went there, he started a long time ago. But these people were coming back and like there were these like 50-year-old guys that were training with us that have been training with him for like 30 years in that program. And he you know, maybe he got a little little bit into the money, but honestly, like my opinion, he really wasn't. Like he was just teaching for the love of it. And his program had some great martial artists, martial arts, because he didn't um, really focus on the business side of it like he could have, you know. And uh, all those people were like in the prime of their lives, a lot of the college students. So they're just primed to be good naturally. You know, you look at a kid who's like six and seven years old, and <laughs> they really haven't figured out how to use their body yet, let right. alone start using it as a weapon. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny too that kind of just in as you mentioned, just in that pocket, you know, even even among the pocket, you know, there was pockets, right? Like you know, you always had those people that you worked with, and it wasn't that you liked them better than anybody else, but they they elevated you, right? Like they challenged you, like, and there was that, yeah, that that mutual kind of pushing where somebody who you know was good, but maybe at at this level, you know, you could work out with, but they they never helped you elevate, and I think that's what that's one thing that happened in, in just that pocket where you just had people that were driven and, you know, here we are 20 years later, you know, th you know, three of us talking, I know you've had other um, students in the past that are still doing it. Like that drive remained. I mean, yeah. it's not, it's not hard to find somebody who's practiced martial arts. It's hard to find somebody that's continued to practice martial arts. Absolutely. Yeah. Very few people. How long you guys been training? You like a long time, huh? It's close, close to 30 years, 20, yeah. 20, since 92, so. Wow. So that's a long time. Very few people um, make it past a few months, you know, and some people make it like a year. You see a big drop off after about nine months. Yeah. Um, we've had about 500 people come through our school since we opened about five years ago, and I would say... I think we've got nine red belts, you know, like that's right. it is not many, you know, we got two black belts. That's it. And um, everyone else just kind of dropped off, you know, the people come in, they try it out, they get a couple ranks or something, but very few people commit to life. But I feel like once you get like kind of, you know, five or six years in, something clicks, your entire identity is like associated with martial arts. And sometimes you see these people that just, They've been bouncing around, but they'll never give up martial arts for the rest of their life. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I love, we, we, I love we those the same people. thing. Like, we get, well, people will come in and, you know, they'll stick with it for a year, two years. You know, some 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 people will, you know, they want to get to that black belt level and, and then they're done. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm at black belt. I've reached the pinnacle. But then you get, you get the, the, the few, like, pure souls are just like, all right, I got black belt. What's next? Mm. Yeah, because once you get to once you get to that black belt level, like it, it sounds kind of cliche, but that's that's really where the learning begins. Like that's where it's it gets beginning. fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's interesting because I think a lot of people think that a black belt is an expert, but black belt is just the beginning, guys. That's like where you know the basics, and you can go out and start competing and developing your skills and really becoming an expert. Like, um, 
and it's just a shame that a lot of people get there and then they just say, okay, I'm done. I, I accomplished this, you know? No. Not, not only that too, but like, you know, at that level you start instructing and it's like, I, I tell our students all the time, I'm like, well, you think you know a technique, now try to teach it. Yeah. Like you're going to learn more teaching that technique than you ever think you would just practicing it. Yeah. Yeah. Sir. Yeah. We get, we got defenses and we got forms that we teach and you, know, you teach a form and the kid's like, yeah, I got it. Cause he can like kind of walk through it in like, you know, 45 minutes he can complete his whole form, you know, so he thinks he actually knows it. It's like, <laughs> you don't know it until you can do it fast. Every stance is exactly the same power, complete focus. It's, it's, you'll never know it completely, but you, it's so funny. You see these kids and like, I'm like, do you, how do you feel like you know your form? And they're like, yeah, I know it. And I'm like, yeah. no, you don't know it at all. You don't even have it a little, you know? Same thing with the defenses, you know? Like, they're like, yeah, I got it. It's like, okay, now defend yourself in this real situation. I like grabbing, you know? And they're like, ah, and no idea. So. Yeah. Was it, was it Bruce Lee that, that said uh, it takes 10,000 repetitions just to become proficient? Yeah, I think something yeah, like at, that, right? At 10 to 10,000 to, to master a move. So it's like, yeah, you did it twice and it looks okay, but yeah, you're not, you're not there yet. That's why I tell my students every time they're like, yeah, I know this wrist grab defense. I'm like, got to do it 10,000 times. Have you done 10,000 times? Like, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's like yeah, that the wrist grab thing that you mentioned, like that's the same thing with the keto and like what Nick mentioned earlier. It's like, okay, you, you know what, you can do it on this guy. Well, now go work out with this guy who's 200 pounds heavier. Yeah. But you, it's it's going to be different. You, you don't know it if you can't. You don't know it if you can't apply it effectively to different body types. Yeah. 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 Coming back to instructors for a moment, there was a little bit of conversation there about these instructors that have impacted you throughout your training. I'm curious, this show is, you know, it's for students, it's for martial artists just across the country across the world, but it's also for fledgling instructors or you know veteran instructors alike. And my question that I like to ask a lot of the guests is, what is your advice to a new instructor or to somebody who you know, as you said, Sensei Alex, you can practice martial arts your whole life, but the second you get out there in front of a class of seven-year-olds or a class of seventy-seven-year-olds, you know, whatever it is, there is an entire world of learning available to you in a, in a new way. So for both of you, is there any specific advice that you would? You know, my, my best advice to anybody teaching anything is, is don't be afraid to admit that you messed up or made a mistake. Like I've, I've worked with instructors where it's like, they're doing something and like you're watching, it's like they're doing it wrong and they know they're doing it wrong but they don't want to admit that they're doing it wrong. So they're just going to keep teaching you the way they're teaching you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's don't be afraid. Like don't have your pride so heavy that you can't start something and do it. And then be like, you know what? That was incorrect. Let's do that again. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, no, that's great. What about, what about you, Nicholas? What's like some advice you give a fledgling instructor? Uh, you know, probably along the same lines, but it's, it's just don't, don't be afraid to change, you know, kind of the running joke in, in our school a lot of times is, is we'll work on stuff and we'll work on basic stuff or we'll review and, 
And the student shower is like, oh, you're changing it on us. It's like, well, I'm not really changing it. We're, we're expanding it. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, trying, we're trying to make you um, more applicable to the technique. Because it's, you know, yeah, you know the technique, but do you know the technique? You know, and it's. Well, I mean, you're also always learning, too. And right. you're learning past where you're master or sensei who taught you knew sometimes so he yeah. knew like this this much of the technique this well and then you can always learn more and you're not even just learning you're developing so it's like yeah i the reason why this looks different is because i developed a better technique right mm -hmm. and i'm teaching it to you now i am pioneering the art so don't come to me and act like i don't know what i'm doing i am yeah. developing better technique for you if I, you know, knew, you know, it, it, and I'm sure you guys have experienced this, like you, you'll do a technique and you'll, you'll work it and you'll do it for years and years and years. And then one day you just kind of wake up and you go, what if I did it this way? And it clicks with you. And it's like, God, if only I knew that 20 years ago. This is what I'm always telling the students. <laughs> you know, like I'll get out there and there's some technique, some little nuance, right? I spent my entire life figuring out. And I'll, I'll get up there, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be in my dramatic pose, and I'll try to say it as succinctly, but like beautiful as possible. And they'll all go, yep, next. And I'll be like, no, not next. That was the synthesis of everything I've been doing for the last 30 years in that one that one little kernel of knowledge. And they just, yeah, okay, next. And like, we just gotten so, uh, I think, oversaturated with great, you know, knowledge that we don't realize how difficult it is to add one more piece to that stack, you know? And when you finally do, like, that's like your life accomplishment, but no one will notice it because there's just so much good stuff around them. And I always try to tell my students, guys, there's like rote knowledge, but then there's like tacit knowledge, things that you can only know through doing. And sometimes when I say things, you might not really understand the deep meaning of what I'm saying until like 10 years in the future, when you're reapproaching this technique for the 10,000th time, yep. you say, oh my gosh, that's what Master Rolls was talking about. That was that little level of detail that I had just, now I see like the hair on the back of your head will stand up. I've had those experiences a few times with my own master. I'm like, that's what he was trying to get me to do. You know, I, I threw this technique away 20 years ago because I thought it was useless. I finally figured it out now what I was doing 20 years ago that was wrong. Yeah, and on that same note, like from a device standpoint, like don't be afraid to let your students struggle. Like, you know, too many times, like I, I see instructors that they just, they keep correcting people like over and over, no, do it this way, do it this way, do it this way, you're doing it wrong. It's like, sometimes like they know what they want to do. They just got to figure it out. Mm -hmm. like, and if they don't have that struggle, there's no sense of reward when they get it. Yeah. Like let them struggle and then let oh, them yeah. figure it out and get to that pinnacle on their own. That's really get that tacit knowledge from struggling, right? Yeah, and I was going to say that the best way to correct a, a bad uh, technique is to let them do it that way for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. You sound like you wanted to cut in here, sir. I was going to ask, um, what is the most challenging thing you've encountered with instructing? You know what? I'll, I'm going to take the low-hanging fruit on this one it's it's the student that's just there you know like you you love to teach people who want to learn 
you know, whether whether they're good, whether they're quick on the uptake, whether they're they're naturals at it, it doesn't matter. Like as long as they're willing to listen to what you're saying, mm-hmm. um, that's great. You know, they take the knowledge and apply it. It's and you guys all know this type. It's that that one student that comes in and they have some you know nugget of knowledge from something they've done before. Well, that wouldn't work. Yeah. Well, that wouldn't work. I w- I would do it this way. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're that great, why why are you here? <laughs> like, like I can't. You can do it however you want, but if you're in a particular if you if you're in a particular discipline and you're learning a particular style, like, take what it has to offer. You don't you don't have to apply this to your everyday life, but don't don't shut the door because it it might be worth something to you someday. Just slaps in the back of the head and say, have some respect. (laughs) I know, sometimes you want to do that, you know. And also, um, you get those students, especially with the grappling techniques. I don't see it so much with the striking. A lot of times when people, it's so easy to do a somewhat uh, intelligent strike. I mean, to you and I's, like, vision, it's, like, awful, you know. But for their perception, like, yeah, hit the paddle. Yeah, you hit the paddle with like zero power and you're hitting with your toe and it's just all wrong, right? But from their perspective, they, they don't really know the difference. Right. But with the with the grappling, they can see what they're doing wrong because like, well, I can't get him to submit. Like, I, it's not working or he's not falling over. And so those missteps become way more obvious. Mm-hmm. And then what's also really obvious, which is why I brought this up, is okay, well, you're trying to do a hip throw. If I drop my hips and I just kind of sit on the ground, how do you hip throw me? It's like, yeah, like I have to get my hips under you to hip throw you. That's that's the situation that a hip throw is useful. You know, if you're sitting on the ground, I'm not going to pick you up, you know, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's like, and also that's kind of the counter. Like I'll go, I'll go for, you know, like a rear dump or something like that when you're trying to do a hip throw. That's kind of the counter. So but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're first learning the first technique, and we learn the, the counter to that, and the counter to that, and the counter to that. And you got to have the patience as a white belt to take your time and learn the techniques before moving on to the next thing. Right. Yeah. At that point, too, you see a lot of people where um, they always want to rush to the end, right? Yeah. You know, the, the throw is the part where they hit the mat, and it's they they miss everything in front of it, and they just want to get to that end result, which you know, makes, makes their technique suffer in the end and, and makes it frustrating for them. That's so, that's so wise. That's, that's definitely true. I like how you said that too, because it's like everyone thinks that the throw is the goal, right? But there's so much on the way up to that throw that they're missing out on. It's like the knuckles hitting the pad is the very end of the motion but everything before that, starting with your core, starting with your feet, coming up through the ground, into your core, down your arm, into the, into the target, determines how that end result lands, you know? Absolutely. 100%. I mean, it's, it, you know, it, it's, it's interesting, like, you know, it, this conversation is interesting because, like, even though, like, all these different disciplines, it's like, the themes are the same. Yes. The phys- physics is physics. The human body only has a certain number of limbs and we generate power very similar ways, whether we're striking or we're throwing, you know, absolutely. I mean, I think 
You know, this is an interesting shift of topics. So I think every martial art, the founder of that, that discipline had certain skills, right? We're all different people, right? We're all going to be good in different ways. And whatever his skills were, because in the East, they didn't do a lot of intermixing of ideas and techniques. They didn't do a lot of uh, cross-discipline sparring and stuff like that. Whatever those were, they manifested to the maximum degree, right? So with like Taekwondo, for example, the concepts were maintaining center line, pivot, extension, economy of motion. These are sort of the founding principles of Taekwondo. And we've, I think we have a lot to say about that in Taekwondo. But like, you know, every discipline has its own things. In Judo, for example, like if I push you, you want to resist, which is a way that I can get to actually, you come towards me, right? That's sort of a judo principle. Or if your arm, and then some of this might be similar to Aikido because it comes out of jiu-jitsu and they, they both, you know, very similar in that, in that mindset. But like, if you're closer to your arms, closer to me, I have more leverage over it. If you're further away from me, I have less control. You have more control, right? So what are, what are some of those? I mean, maybe I, I said too much, but what are some of the founding principles of Aikido? Some of the things that Yamorahai may have uh, kind of pioneered and refined that really set Aikido apart from other disciplines. Yeah, you know, Aikido really has three principal foundations. Um, body displacement, you know, pivoting, moving out of the way. Circular motion, mm. so making sure that like everything is like a wave. Um, and then... Um, breaking balance. Like those are the three principles of Aikido. Mm. Nice. And, and when you say body displacement, you mean moving your body offline, off center, so that you can evade the attack and sort of intercept it? Correct. And I think that that is probably that in the circular mode. I mean, breaking balance, I feel like that's also in judo, but I don't think the body displacement you're talking about is so much incorporated into judo too much and the circular motion there are some circular motions in judo but i feel like that's sort of a unique aikido thing as a layman what do you think there, there is i mean there's there's definitely some circular motions it's, it's more pronounced in aikido um mm -hmm. you can definitely like if you watch any form of aikido whether it's aikikai whether it's tamiki like you're gonna see very prominent circular motion yes sir. not only from the, the footwork but when they're when they're throwing like there is a definite arc mm. throws as, as they're 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 being conducted yeah. that is that's definitely something i've noticed with what little i have seen of aikido i am personally very interested in those martial arts styles that are so deeply rooted in that that circularity um i have not ever trained in it, but it's on my on my list is Bagua Zhang. And Bagua is all circles and creating circles within circles. And and when I first saw it for the first time, uh, I, I picked up a book. It's called Opening the Energy Gates of Your Body by Bruce Francis. And he's a Qigong guy. He's a Tai Chi and a Bagua master. And I didn't know what Bagua was. And he mentioned it and I said, what is this that he's talking about? And I, I went and I looked it up and I said, oh my gosh. And the, there's just something so beautiful about that circularity mm -hmm. in 
a defensive situation. Uh, you, you know, you were talking earlier about soft blocking, right? And that is a concept that if you don't have somebody teach that to you, it's not, that, that's not an inherent thing. You know, if somebody hits you, you're going to go, oh, and you're going to try to catch whatever that is that's coming your way. But the moment you switch to redirection and using that, whatever it is coming in, that is something that has always piqued my interest in the martial arts and something that I want to continue to dive into just to see how deep it goes and, and how far you can take that, that principle. It gets me really jazzed up, really excited. And yeah. You, you know, talking about principles, it sometimes when martial arts go down one road too far, they can get a little bit out of reality. And so sometimes people mm. um, think that's a bad thing. However, like the traditional martial arts. Traditional martial arts, in my opinion, are kind of like a case study on like one principle to a super extreme degree a lot of times. And then mixed martial arts kind of somewhere sits in the middle of all of these uh, spokes of the wheel. And, but I think a lot of mixed martial arts are really missing out on the power of traditional martial arts and the knowledge and wisdom that they actually hold because you can only really understand that principle when you draw it out to its maximum length, and then you discover things out there that no one else had discovered before. I'll give you an example in Taekwondo. Before Taekwondo, just like karate, like Muay Thai and all these other disciplines, we used to generate the power from the ground up into our kicking technique. And, you know, we step on an angle, we kick across, all this kind of stuff. Taekwondo realized that you can just pivot and you can make tons of power. And in fact, you can pivot and you can extend your leg and you can make tons and tons of power. And so you don't need the ground. And so you can do things like a tornado roundhouse kick, which doesn't use the ground to generate power. It uses your centrifugal motion to generate the power. And it's because of Taekwondo that you see kicks like the tornado roundhouse kick, like the spinning hook kick, which really didn't have a strong place in the martial arts before those techniques were drawn out to the nth degree. Mm -hmm. The spinning hook kick is the number one knockout kick out there. It's so powerful. It's really effective for knocking people out. And it wouldn't have ever been pioneered if we hadn't started to go down that road of like, let's not be rooted in the ground. And let's explore this one principle of pivot extension to the maximum. Um, are there examples? I'm sure there's examples of that in Aikido where it's like, you know, certain things that, you know, judo practitioner or jiu-jitsu practitioner would just sort of be like, okay, move on to the next thing. But if you drew it all the way out, there's some wisdom down here that they're really mm -hmm. missing in that. Yeah. I mean, Nick, you want to start off? Yeah, I, I was going to say, I mean, I think you can just kind of go back to the, the founding of, of Tamika here. I think that's the same same principle. You know, um, a lot of traditional Aikikai or, or really fundamental Aikidoka, you know, they, they look at Tamiki style or, or, you know, some people call it Shotokan or, the, the, the you know, Aikido of, of Tamiki as as not Aikido, right? Because it's competition, right? So there's the fundamentals of Aikido is, is harmony and balance and working with your opponent and 
Kamiki has, has Rondary. Like that's that's not Aikido. That's combative. That's mm-hmm. that's that's against the spirit of what we're doing. And um, so I think there's there's a divide divergence there, right? Just kind of how you're saying is is one side kept, you know, for for lack of better terms, they they kept the spirituality of it and they kept it inward. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they wanted to keep that that lineage and that tradition where it was, and then the other side, you know, they took it and they they said, well, yeah, we have competition, but it's it's competition to make each other better. So is that still not harmony? Is that still not, you know, within the spirit of Aikido? So so yeah. even though it's divergent, it's it's just expanding the philosophies of one side and the other, and and I think kind of to to what your point is 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 there's going to be some techniques and some some movements and some things on this side that maybe to this side somewhere along the way it's going to come back together and it's going to be like whoa you know we're putting it back together and now you're creating this whole different thing and this whole different approach to it so when i left the karate program and i started going back to my taekwondo competitions and i was like blocking people at a high level of play like world champions and stuff and they had never seen someone block a technique and counter with a punch before. When you guys started doing judo and you're coming from your Aikido background where you do a lot of similar things, but there's some, you're kind of drawing things out in a different direction sometimes. Did you, were there techniques that like the judo guys were like, whoa, like I was, I didn't think you could do that in this situation that was coming from your Aikido background. I mean, to, maybe not to a great extent um so there's one kata in particular in, in judo called the uh the goshinjutsu it's uh, mm-hmm. the goshitsu kodokan judo and it, it's funny you know judo is the primary practitioner of the goshinjutsu which is again another another set of techniques and um the the funny thing is is the kodokan goshinjutsu uh was developed by kenji tamiki after he studied aikido so he kind of went back to judo and he said, hey, here's what I learned in Aikido. Let's develop a, a practice set for it. So it, it was funny because we would practice it in judo. And they're like, you, you do it this way. You do it this way. You do it this way. And I'm like, are, are you sure? Are you sure you're doing it exactly like that? Like if you just make this one motion with your hip or you just, you know, redirect it just a little bit, you know, and they're like, what, wh- why would that work? I'm like, well, cause it was developed by an Aikido guy. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. Alex, what about you or any thoughts on that? Um, I mean, you know, so, similar to that extent, I mean, it's, it, it's interesting because, because as we kind of teach, um, and I'm sure you guys have very similar situations. Like, your, your breadth of technique is pretty large and you, know, you, you practice your foundations and you practice your practical stuff. Um, in Aikido especially, we have, we have katas that are, you know, they're stylized katas. They're mm-hmm. set motions, set scenarios. And every once in a while, we'll field questions where it's like the, the, the movements we're doing are stylized. Their practicality at times can be questionable at best. And, you know, you'll have students ask like, well, well why do we practice this? It's like you're you're not practicing the practicality, you're practicing the techniques. So what you're practicing, while you will never use this in a self-defense or practical situation, the principles that you're performing of body displacement, circular motion and balance breaking are all derived and created to give you a way to safely practice those things to make your practical techniques better. And it's like, sometimes you kind of have to explain that 
sometimes what you're practicing, not everything you practice is going to be practical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like, um, well, why learn to block like here when you can just go here? And so because you're learning to use your whole body and generate your whole body into that block. So it's maximally powerful, right? Whereas if you just go lift your hand and go like that, every person is just going to go like this and they have no power because it's not starting from the core. They're not using their whole body into it. So sometimes you need to draw things out into a really dramatic, there, there is some benefit to drawing things out in a really dramatic way. So you learn to use your whole body. It's the same thing with the stances, I feel like traditional karate stances and taekwondo stances is like they teach you how to open up your hip, how to develop strong legs and, and base yourself out. In reality, they're probably going to be a little bit higher, but there's some deep yeah. truth to those deep stances. Yeah. You're never going to go to a sparring competition and punch somebody in a horse stance. Yeah. But <laughs> horse from dance a practice standpoint, it builds yeah. up those, those muscles. Yeah, yeah. But a horse stance is really good. Like if you get like standing side control on somebody, you're basically in horse stance, right? You know, and when you get your hips aligned with someone else's hips and you're doing a hip throw, that's horseback riding stance, you know? So it has its moments, um, but you just got to find them, you know? Yeah. Guys, it's been a pleasure having you on. I think we could talk for two more hours, to be honest. But I know you are, your time is valuable, and um, it's been great catching up. I, yeah. I really wish you guys the best with your Aikido club. We might have to have you come out for a seminar or you should invite me to come visit sometime. I'd love yeah. to see what you guys are doing out there. I was going to say the, uh, the urge to like, you know, just like get up and start practicing during these conversations is it's palpable. You need to grab some fabric all of a sudden. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. if we're ever in the Texas area, like I'll definitely look you guys up. If you guys or any of your students are in Milwaukee, like, absolutely look us up reach out like you know feel free to swing by like doors are always open to mm -hmm. extended friends and family yes sir yes, yes sir absolutely yes, sir. likewise um all right well thank you so much for any final thoughts guys before we let these two wise men go with all of their knowledge you know we can't let it slip out the door mm -hmm. as you said sir i i feel like I, this conversation could just keep going, keep going. Keep I going. feel like I understand. And, yeah, sorry. And I think that it will. You know, I would love to have you both back on in the future just to to dive into Aikido, but also just to keep talking martial arts. You know, that's, that's part of the reason we do this show is because it is so fun to just sit down and say, let's just talk about this. Let's really just open it up. And uh, since I, Nick, as you said, it just gets your body in the zone of, okay, like, let's get out there. Let's start working on some of these things. Let's, you know, oh, what, you know, what, what were we talking about again, about that soft blocking and things like that. So thank you again for, for coming on. I actually have a question I want to ask both of you guys, but I feel like we don't have the time for it. It's going to open a massive can of worms. But the fact that you two have been training together for like 30 years is incredible. Mm, yes, and like you stuck together through all these adventures it's like i have brothers i have a younger brother an older brother my younger brother came and worked for me it was wonderful but it's not always perfect harmony you know and it's incredible that you guys are that close and you're that understanding of each other you've been able to be 
you know, your stalwart defenders through 30 years of training. We're going to have them back on and talk about this. I think this is a really cool topic. And I like so, there's a lot of kids. I don't feel bad about hurting him. That's how it works. Sorry, what is it? I don't feel bad about hurting him. If I hurt somebody else, I feel bad. If I hurt him, it's like, ah. Eh. <laughs> uh, truth comes out at last. No, I'm All right, guys. Thank you so much for coming on. All right. Continue success, Rising Phoenix. Best of luck. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Thank you sir. Nice. Likewise. All right. So long. Have a good night. If you enjoyed that podcast, please consider liking and subscribing to our YouTube channel, as well as hitting the notification bell. We offer in-person, group, and private lessons at our facility in Kyle, Texas, as well as virtual lessons anywhere in the world. If you'd like to learn more about our programs, you can find us online at risingphoenixtkd.com.